0: All right. so this morning we are away from Genesis. We finished Genesis up there last week. Uh, My message I titled, Have the Mind of Christ. We're going to turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do praise You and magnify You. We thank You for Your presence. Father, we thank You for Your creation that makes us in awe. We thank You, Father, for Your love that is so amazing. We thank You, Father, for Your Holy Spirit that encourages, that gives us peace, that comforts us, and, Father, empowers us. And, Father, we invite Your Spirit into this place, but not just this place. We invite Your Spirit into every home, every person that's listening, Father. May Your Spirit be upon them. Father, may Your Spirit be upon Your church, Father God, that we would be faithful to proclaim Your good Word, to proclaim the news. And, Father, we know that Your Word will not go forth void, Father, we pray that every word spoken on Your behalf will grow and produce fruit. Father, we just pray for an abundant crop. We know that the, the field is white for harvest. And Father God, we do pray for revival. Lord, in this land and across the earth, Father God, we pray for revival, that hearts will be changed. Father, You are the hope of the nation. You are the hope. You are the one that we must put our trust in, because there is no other That we can find salvation than your Son Jesus Christ. Father, may we put our trust and our hope in thee, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Philippians chapter two, verse one through sixteen. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded and having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. This is a good... Let nothing, my friends, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. What a word for believers. Let nothing we do be for our own selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look not only... "...for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Another good word for us: do all things without complaining and disputing, that it may become blame that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. May God add His blessings to the hearing and the reading of of His Holy Word. Just a little bit of history first about the city of Philippi. The city... To where this letter was to go, Philippians was to the, the church in Philippi, the church that Paul had uh, started there. Philippi was originally founded by immigrants from Thrace. The city was famous. Now, you would, you know, we live in Mineral County. There's a lot of minerals in in, in our soil, in our area. You know, there's a lot of natural minerals found in the earth. And you would love to have what they were famous for on your property. They were famous for abundant gold mines. Yeah, you like to have a gold mine on your property, right? They were also famous for the plentiful springs of water that was found in that area. From these springs, the town received its original name, Crenids. may not have pronounced that right, but it means fountains. The city was later renamed Philippi after Philip of Macedonia, the father of Alexander the Great. By the New Testament times, the city had become had come under the rule of Roman rule. Uh, it was a very diverse population, had Thracians, Greeks, and Romans. And we know that when the Apostle Paul would go on his journeys or go into a city, it was always his custom to first go to the synagogue. He would go to the synagogue and preach to the Jews, preach the word that God had given him. But there was no synagogue in Philippi. So he also knew that if there was no synagogue, the most likely place to go where he would find Jews gathered together to worship or believers would be down by the river. So that's where he went. It was there that he met Lydia. And it is believed that Lydia was the first Christian convert in Europe. And we'll find that in Acts chapter 16, verse 13 through 15. And on the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made and we sat down and spoke, to the women who met there. Now a certain woman certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged, judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So now to our passage. Our passage began with the word therefore. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ. So whenever a passage begins with the word therefore, it means for that reason or consequently, we must look at what preceded this to get the right understanding of what Paul was saying here. So we must look at the therefore to find out why did he say, is there any consolation? Is there any comfort? Well, we must see what preceded that. So we must look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. He says, "...only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel." This gives insight. Paul's main topic here and in much of the book of the entire book of Philippians is surrounding suffering. Suffering on Christ's behalf. He tells the Philippian church, it has been granted on behalf of Christ to suffer for his sake. Granted or grant, as it's used here, means to grant as a favor to gratuitously. It means He has graciously been given the privilege or the honor to suffer on behalf of Christ. And you're thinking, you're shaking your head. You're like, whoa, wait a minute. I know that the thought of suffering, the thought of persecution, for most of us, it's a foreign idea. Most of us think, well, yeah, we know that there's persecution. We know that those, those, those that suffer on behalf of Christ. But we, for the most part, well that happens in other parts of the world. It really doesn't happen much here. And that is true. It's really not a big issue here, yet. When I looked to Philippians and I felt the Lord leading me there, there, no way was suffering to be my main topic. But as I studied this and got into this, that's the way the Spirit led. Maybe it's God's way of preparing us for what may be coming. Maybe it's His way of letting us know that He's going to grant us the favor, the privilege to suffer on His behalf. There's a pastor named Andrew Brunson. He is a Presbyterian missionary, uh, has been to Turkey many times, And one of his last trips there, he was falsely accused of being part of a failed coup attempt against the country's president. And he spent a few years in prison in Turkey because of these false claims against him. Brunson believes that there is coming a time of persecution for American Christians. And he gave these remarks during an interview with the Western Conservative Summit. According to the examiner, Brunson said this, First of all, I think it is coming to the U.S. that there will be persecution. He says, I was isolated for a few years and coming back to the United States was almost like coming back to a different country in many ways to what I experienced a few years before. He says, I am astounded at the speed with which I think the U.S. is imploding. There are any number of issues where it seems that it is no longer enough for a person of faith to get along with or to serve or to treat well someone they disagree with. He says, I think that the political business, the media, celebrity class, and also academia, it seems that there is much more a demand that people approve of, that they validate, that they actually celebrate the things they actually disagree with immoral things, things that we disagree with because we feel they're immoral, there is that side that wants us to celebrate it, to approve it. He says persecution is nothing new. The thing is that we in the West have not experienced persecution very much. It is very unusual for a Westerner to be arrested for his faith. We haven't experienced it, but I think we are going to. I think it is coming to this country. He says, one might argue that persecution is now alive and well in America with the purging of Christianity from the government, the muzzling of state officials, employees, and appointees who are Christian, the public attacks on churches and Christian businesses, the media and Hollywood's disparaging of anything Christian. How true that is in almost every film they make. The examiner said, the kind of persecution that Andrew Brunson endured in Turkey has not arrived yet in the United States. Nevertheless, as he suggests, it could be right around the corner. As frightening as that prospect may seem, no one in the right mind desires it. Who here desires it? Who wants to, be, who wants to suffer, right? I don't see any hands going up. But persecution could have a positive effect on true religion. For example, Bishop Polycarp, an older man at the time, was put to death for his faith in Smyrna in the year 167 A.D. He had tried very hard to escape arrest, but was eventually tracked down. When apprehended, he was ordered to curse Christ. Polycarp replied, Sixty and eight years have I served him, and he has done me nothing except good. How then can I curse my Lord and my Savior? At that profession, His abductor sentenced him to death. Wood was gathered and piled in an open square, and the white-haired old man was made to mount the large heap of wood. But when they sought to fasten him to the stake, he told them, No, leave me thus. He who has strengthened me to encounter the flames will give me the power also to stand firm at the stake. And this man, or Polycarp, suffered a martyr's death. Persecution has a way of making a genuine follower of Jesus Christ an individual of sturdy and profound faith. Other Christians died as polycarp during the second century. Their heroism had a positive outcome in making Christians of that time nobler, purer, and vigorous in their walk with God. The persecuted became, as Tertullian said, a fan which cleanses the Lord's threshing floor. Moreover, Christianity began to sweep the land at that time. To quote Tertullian again, We conquer in dying. We go forth triumphant at the very moment we seem subdued. The oftener we are mowed down, the more do we grow in number. He says, the blood of Christians is the seed of the church. Someone once wisely said, Be careful what you pray for. You just might get it. Many faithful Christians have been praying earnestly for revival in the church and a spiritual awakening to sweep America. The answers to such prayers may be on the way via an unexpected means. It may be by the means of persecution and suffering. We, my friends, might be granted the honor to suffer on Christ's behalf. Verses 27 and 28 of chapter 1 said, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. Friends, there is only one Holy Spirit. And we as Christians are to be united in the Holy Spirit. We are to stand united against the enemy. We are to be united, a united front against them. We are not to strive against one another, but against the enemy that's out to destroy us. We are not to be terrified by our enemy. The church at Philippi was under persecution. And Paul instructed them that it was an honor an honor to be persecuted for the cause of Christ. And he encouraged them to be, to be united and have the mind of Christ. He says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself, he made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and, be, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name. This is actually the part of the passage that drew me to Philippians. It was going to be my main focus. I get a daily devotion where every, every morning through an email through a well-known pastor. He says the main reason that people never aspire to be like Jesus Christ is they think that He had an advantage. They think that Jesus had supernatural power to live the sinless life that He lived. And yes, after the temptation and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, He had the Holy Spirit, but before that, He did not. The statement that He made Himself of no reputation, more literally reads, He emptied Himself. Instead of asserting His rights, instead of asserting His deity, He waived those rights. He relinquished them. He voluntarily gave up those rights. Gave up that deity. Gave up that supernatural power. So compared to the fullness of God, I'm sure, He indeed felt empty. But He gave them up. For us, for us, making Himself of no reputation. Remember, form is the outward expression of our inner nature. It indicates an exchange. He exchanged that deity to become a servant. Exchanged that inner nature, a previous expression of His nature. Servanthood was not his normal expression. But after he freely gave it up. So, since he voluntarily waived his right to the divine power, was he God or was he man? Yes and yes. You know, think of the son. We're all thankful that this morning, it's, even though it's extremely cold out there, the sun's shining, it's beautiful. The mountains is beautiful, the sun's coming up. We, we know that every morning the sun's going to come up, right? Well, on an extremely cloudy day, which tomorrow morning is probably going to be, because it's supposed to be snowing, you're not going to see the sun. But is the sun still there? Is the sun still the sun? Right. The sun is still the sun, even though you can't see it. You can't see its outward expression. It is still the sun. You know that the sun's up there. Its, its rays are radiating up from it. We know that the heat is still radiating from the sun. We know that the sun does not cease to be the sun just because you can't see it. It's still the sun. We know that Jesus Christ was still God, even though He voluntarily gave up His deity to take on man, he was still the Son. He did not stop being God. He did not empty himself of his deity, but rather his outward expression of his deity, and all that it implies, as that one author puts it, he emptied himself of this. Emptied himself of his existence in a manner of being equal to God. He set aside his legitimate and natural desire of deity, so that he might express himself as a servant that he might fully experience humanity. Hebrews 4:14 4, and 15 says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are Yet without sin. You see, he couldn't have fully experienced the temptations or the things that would come against humanity if he would not have made himself of no reputation. But he did. But he did. An event that happened in Jesus' life might help further explain this, and that is at the Transfiguration. Luke tells us in chapter 9, it says, Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that He took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as He prayed, the appearance of His face was altered and His robe became white and glistening. You see, if Jesus hadn't made Himself of no reputation, hadn't become a servant, His face would have always been glowing like that the way he did on Mount Transfiguration. He would have always looked like that, but he didn't. He didn't. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he was changed from that human outward expression to that of his deity. There are a number of inadequate views of the person of Christ. The Apollinarianism view is that Christ had a human body but not a human mind or spirit. The Nestorianism view is that there were two separate persons in Christ, the divine and the human. The Monophysitism view is that Christ had only one nature, was more human but less than divine. The Chalcedonian, Chalcedonian rather definition of the person of Christ refuted these inadequate views and became the standard orthodox statement on the biblical teaching on who Christ is who he was it affirmed that the eternal son of god took to himself a truly human nature his divine and human nature remain distinct and, deta- and retain their own properties yet they are eternally and inseparably they are eternally and inseparably united together in one person This definition means that one nature does some things and the other nature does not. And anything either nature does, the person of Christ does. And now I find that one, I believe that one to be true. I believe that Jesus Christ lived the perfect sinless life in His humanity without the help of the deity. He did it being a man in His flesh, He freely chose to experience every temptation known to man. And He did this for our benefit. He did this without the help of the Holy Spirit. The amazing thing is that now He has sent us, the Holy Spirit, to help us, to empower us to live a godly life. Even though He didn't rely on the divinity. He gives us that to empower us. To live like Him. To empower us to have the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit gives the the believers the power to live like Jesus. To be bold witnesses for Him. Jesus said in John 16, 7, that it was to our benefit that He would go away so that we would receive the Holy Spirit. He says, But in fact it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do not go away, or if I do go away, then I will send Him to you. If Jesus said it is best for us that He goes away, then it must be because there is something valuable about what the Holy Spirit was coming to do. And here is one instance that gives us a clue. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be My witnesses Telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is Acts 1, verse 8. From that scripture we gain the foundational concept of what the Holy Spirit does in the Christian life. He sends us out. Sends us to be witnesses. To give us power to do it effectively. There are many ways that the Holy Spirit works in and through Christians. But they all share one common goal. To make us more like Jesus. To make us more like Him. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. The Holy Spirit, my friends, will guide us into all truth, One beautiful title that Jesus calls the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Truth. He calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Truth. John 16.3 When the Spirit of Truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own, but will tell you what He has heard. He will tell you about the future. He brings us closer to other believers. And one final thing I want to touch on is the unity brought by the Holy Spirit. Acts 4:32 says all believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that they owned what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. Everything that they had. They were completely united in spirit. Oneness. Had the same mind. We are to have the same mind. We are to have the mind of Christ. And through the Holy Spirit, we can gain that. We can gain that. And friends, we will need the mind of Christ if, if, I'm not going to say when, but if, if that persecution comes, if suffering comes, we must have the mind of Christ. Christ. To be able to endure it, to endure it on His behalf, for His kingdom, for His glory. And maybe we will have that honor. Maybe we will have that privilege. My friends, and it will take the mind of Christ to think of it as an honor. Will it not? Because the flesh does not like to suffer. Who likes suffering? Who likes pain? We do not. But with the mind of Christ, we will be able to endure whatever we need to bear for the cause of Jesus Christ. Amen.